Uh, good morning. Um, it is uh, still morning. Here we are. It's Thursday, um, 11.25. Uh, the next chapter, which would be chapter 14, is uh, the family and intimate relationships. You know, the, the whole idea of this chapter is based around family. And what types of family do we come from? Do we come from a nuclear family? Do we come from a one-parent family? Are our aunts and uncles, are our grandparents taking care of us? Are we um, in an adopted family? And uh, what are the ramifications of that? What's the idea of um, the sociological view uh, coming from several leading sociologists about this? And how does that affect us? But why it affects us, again, the scientific study of human behavior is how it affects us and what the result is. So one of the things you want to pay attention to in this chapter is that you're going to see a couple of different stories of different people with different backgrounds, cultures, attitudes, habits, how families interact together, how children are brought up. Those are some key things that we're going to discuss in a few moments here. Uh, but let's start with the idea of um, what family is really all about. Basically, Schaefer says to us, family can be uh, defined as a set of people related by blood marriage or some other agreed relationship or adoption who share the primary responsibility for reproduction and caring for members of society. So again, as I just stated, uh, you don't have to be a blood relative to be part of the family. And sometimes um, children and sometimes adults have a difficult time dealing with this. Um, and there's a lot of ramifications here. There's a lot of different ways in which uh, we view this. You know, we, we would like to believe that uh, there's this healthy interaction all the time, every day, uh, from families that um, have just one parent or that are adopted or even to the extreme of the perfect nuclear family, if there's such a thing. We all have problems. We all have concerns. We all grow in certain ways, no matter how much we are taught. We talked um, um, about a week or so ago about nature versus nurture, and the idea of uh, how we act and react through what? Our DNA? Does that define us completely? Uh, is it our environment? What defines us? So as we talked about it before, you know, the, the whole idea of that is that we're defined by both. So if that's true, and that we are defined by both, then we also understand that no matter whom your parents are, the goal is, to try to do the best you can as a parent and as that person growing up respecting those parents about 
what the rules and regulation and the norms of society dictate us to be as far as normality, whatever that means. Because normal here in the United States is certainly not normal in northern Siberia or in the southern tips of Africa. So let's not forget that view. That's extremely important. Uh, let's go on. When we talk about a nuclear family, the term nuclear is well chosen since this type of family serves as the nucleus or core on which larger family groups are built. So if um, we all could be so fortunate and have, everyone could have a nuclear family, it, is it a, an advantage? Sociologists say for the most part, yes, for the most part. Uh, there are some that do not have uh, the right makeup, uh, the way, right way in which they interpret uh, the values of what their parents have to say and how they are taught. I know I did. I was a rebel. It was okay at that time. Um, and um, think about it yourselves. If you come from a nuclear family, what, what is it that you do that makes you um, different than your parents? And, and how does that nucleus, that core, help you? Because if we have the true nucleus core, then we understand each other, although we may not agree. You know, the old saying, uh, we can agree to disagree, it certainly uh, comes forward here. It's your character. It's your commitment, your love to your nuclear family that makes the difference. Your understanding of what your parents say, even though you may not agree. And vice versa, they may not agree with you, and that happens once you turn to be a teenager, please. Uh, reflect on your lives and the, and the concerns you've had. You understand what I mean. The family in which relatives such as grandparents, aunts, or uncles live in the same home as parents and their children is known as the extended family. So we have an extension. Uh, we have... Uh, grandmother and our grandfather that were taken care of because they no longer could take care of themselves and they would rather be with their nuclear family of their, their children. Nothing wrong with that. It goes on to talk about monogamy and um, it talks about polygamy on pages 313 and 314. I'm not going to go over every one of these, but you should understand them for sure. Um, an interesting part of this is um, the idea of uh, kinship patterns, uh, to whom are we related. And if we look at uh, page 315, about uh, halfway down a paragraph on the left-hand side of 315, it states to us, the state of being related to others is called kinship. Kinship is culturally learned, however, it is not totally determined by biological or marital status. For example, ad adoption creates a kinship tie that is legally acknowledged and socially accepted. Kinship groups include aunts, uncles, cousins, in-laws, and so forth. In society, such as the United States, kinship group may come together on really 
for a wedding or a funeral. <coughs> Excuse me. However, kinship ties frequently create obligations and responsibilities. And, and that's what you have to remember. Even though it's your aunts or uncles or an ad adoption, if you understand the basic concept of what the family structure is supposed to be, then we understand the idea of our primary goal, which is trying to understand our family, trying to understand ourselves a bit better, and have a more healthy life outside the family circle. Because you've been taught something inside that circle. There are three primary ways in which de determining um, descent. The United States follows a system of bilateral descent, which means that both sides of a person's family are regarded as equally important. Most societies, according to James Murdoch, a um, known sociologist, by the way, 64% uh, give preference to one side of the family or the other, uh, tracing the uh, you know, descendants. In Paritoneal, uh, the idea of, uh, from the Latin word uh, pater, uh, father, uh, the uh, descent only from the father's relatives are significant in terms of property, inheritance, and emotion. On the opposite side is the female, obvious. In, the, in that society's in a society that favors that side. Uh, the, the scent of that uh, is the idea of only the mother's relatives are important in this one. So, authority pen, who rules? Who rules? And that's so important. We don't understand sometimes that there, when we're in a family, there is someone that's going to make the decisions. We may not like it as the idea of uh, maybe being the youngest in the family or maybe the second oldest in the family or the idea of what it is that makes us the way we are because we don't like to take orders, you know. So if we understand that, then we have to also understand that pattern, that who rules that family. And, you know, Schaefer quite, quite clearly says, a society that expects males to dominate in all family decisions, making it its term uh, patriarchal. Patriarch. Male-dominated. In that patriarchal society, although wives are expected to be treated with respect and kindness, as in Iran, uh, this is one of the things I was talking about earlier, in Iran, woman's status is typically defined by her relationship to a male relative. In contrast to that, the matriarchy, or the woman who runs the show, have greater authority than men. Matriarchies, which are very uncommon, 
emerged among Native American tribes uh, in the society and in the nations when men were absent for long periods of time because of warfare. Minaret War. Um, you know, we can go back to when uh, we had wars with Indians when, the, when we had um, the Americans, uh, became Americans, come over from England and they were taking over the Americas and we could talk about that until we're blue in the face and what you believe and what we don't believe. But when those people are gone, there had to be someone that carried on the structure and the power of the family, and that was the mother. And finally, the third, third type is egalitarian family. Spouses are regarded as equals. That does not mean, however, that all decisions are shared in the same families. We talked about this earlier when we first started, when I said to you that um, the idea of this chapter about family and how we interact with one another um, is different with different cultures. Uh, we're not the same, as I said, stated to you, as the cultures in uh, northern Siberia or in, uh, in the southern parts of Africa. They're different. Different cultures, different ways in which they address things, their concerns. But the basic overall idea of the family comes under one umbrella, and that is that someone is taking charge of the family to make sure in their culture that the responsibilities, the caring, the loving, and the idea of, of trying to be as good a person and do as best as you can in that society is dictated from whoever runs the family. And there's disagreements in Southern Africa as there are in Boston, Massachusetts. But they're different because the cultures are different. But you're still under the same umbrella. A couple other things before we um, kind of end up with this. Um, talk about the sociological perspectives. And one of the perspectives we talk about here is something that Karl Marx once said. You remember Karl, right? Good old Karl. Communist, right? Well, we kind of straightened that out a long time ago, I think, with the Communist Manifesto was all about. It says here, Karl Marx described the family as the ultimate source of social inequality because of its role in the transfer of power, property, and privilege. Interesting. Interesting. Because Marx was a guy who, um, if we really read the manifesto correctly, uh, the shared wealth of goods and services. And uh, his whole idea of this negativity scenario was really based on capitalism. Didn't like capitalism. Never liked capitalism. He didn't like what... Uh, with the bourgeoisie were doing to the proletariat, the rich treating the poor badly. Um, and just uh, as the idea of this, the conflict theorist, which <laughs> Karl Marx certainly was, you know, you say black, Karl said white, you say up, Karl said down. Well, there's always a conflict with Karl. Um, 
Conflict theorists have argued that the family contributes to a societal injustice, denies women opportunities that are extended to men, and limits freedom of sexual expression and mate selection. In contrast, in contrast, now the functionalist, which the functional, functionalist uh, sociologist is just what it says, the functional way in which we proceed, whatever culture we're in. So the functionalists say this views uh, focus on the ways in which the family gratifies the needs of members of, and, contrib and contributes to social stability. Where the interactionist, now, again, break down the word interaction, when we interact with people, difference of culture and our gender and our age, this is what they say. It considers the intimate face-to-face -face relationships that occur in the family. And the feminist approach examines the roles of the wife and the mother, especially in the absence of an adult meal. So we have all these different sociologists who tell us about their different perspectives. Which one do you agree with? Does that mean that one is wrong and one is right? I don't believe so. I believe that everyone has a unique place to believe in their theory. So one of the things maybe you should think of, and, and uh, you may be a functionalist, you may be a conflict uh, sociologist type person, or you could be, uh, you know, that... Uh, feminist type person, whatever it is, does not mean that you don't understand what the other theories say. You may believe in one. That's fine. But understand the others. Because you can't have an, uh, a real discussion with anyone who has different ideas and different perspectives unless you know what they're talking about. Finally, um, on the functionalist view, there's uh, six different ways in which um, functionalists view the family scenario. And William Ogburn um, uh, wrote this back in 1934, smart guy, sociologist. One, reproduction for the society to maintain itself, it must replace dying members in the sense that families contribute to human survival through its function of reproduction. Now, that might sound a little over the top to you, I don't know, but that's one of the functions that happens. I know in my Italian-American family, you know, there was my, my grandfather and grandmother, they had six boys and two girls. There was going to be a carry-on of the Palmieri name, for sure, for sure. My own family, three boys, all have children. One of them has grandchildren carrying on through reproduction. It's not an evil word, ladies and gentlemen. It's reality. Let's understand it. Protection. In all cultures, the family assumes the ultimate responsibility for the protection and upbringing of children. Your main purpose, uh, as far as Ogden was concerned, although it's number two, your main purpose after the idea of making sure you had a stability in your family and that the, your family could grow was protecting them. You need to protect them. And when you disagree with your mother or father or 
aunts and uncles or your adopted parents, whoever it is, remember what they're trying to achieve. Socialization parents and other can monitor a child's behavior and transmit the norms and values and language of their culture to the child. I mean, isn't that what we're talking about? Sociology, scientific study of human behavior. I mean, this sits at the heart of it. Chafer hits right at the heart of it. So we want to try to do the best we can to have our children through what we say understand the norms of society, what is helpful, what is unhelpful, what's good, what is bad, what's legal, what's illegal. What are the parameters and what are those values that we instill in our children so that we can understand that when they go out on their own, that you have confidence that they'll be fine. Regulation of sexual behavior, sexual norms are subject to change both over time and across cultures. Uh, however, when, whatever the time, period, or cultural values of a society, standards of sexual behavior are most clearly defined within the family. You ever talk to your mother or father? Has anything ever happened to you? Think about what was said and what was not said. I know my dad talked to me, my mother, and there wasn't going to be a chance of that happening because that was a female in an Italian-American family. The female did not talk to the young man. It was the patriarch that talked. And what was the behavior that you should have? And mostly, and I think this is generally uh, unilateral, respect should be there, first of all. Knowledge should be second. Oh, you want to put knowledge first and respect second? That's fine. But that's what your family is trying to do. You know, when I was a teenager and, you know, I said, Ah, I know that stuff. Oh, yeah, you know that stuff. You're a smart guy. I'm going to say the same thing to you. You know that stuff? You think you're smart? Think of all the things that go on here in, in 2019. Think of how things, I don't know how old any of you are, but think of what's happened in the last 10, 15, 20, 25, 50 years. And then you tell me that you know everything. Affection and companionship. Ideally, the family provides members with warm and intimate relationships, helping them feel satisfied and secure. One of the things that we did every day, I can't speak for your family. I know I'm getting a bit personal here, but it goes to point. We have dinner, 6 o'clock, on the table, Monday through Friday. Saturday was kind of, you know, loose. But Sunday, Sunday dinner, started at 1 o'clock. You better be sitting in your seat at 1 o'clock. Tradition. It means something. Because if you could talk to your parents and your brothers or your sisters or both every day for an hour, because we all have busy lives and then have a little more time on the idea of Sunday dinner, you know, you talk and so forth and so on. And then if you come from a household that has all boys, you know, you go into your TV room with your dad and, and you watch a ball game, whatever. It's a great day. 
that's what Ogden is trying to instill in you. And finally, provisions of social status. We inherit a social position because the family background and reputation of our parents and siblings. The family presents a newborn child with the ascribed status be based on race, ethnicity, that helps to determine his or her place within the society's stratification system. You are put here for a purpose. And I'm not trying to do the supreme power thing for you. That's up to you, but there's a purpose. And the patriarch and or matriarch of your family try to carry that out in the best way they can. And make sure that you understand the values, the ideas of education, possible religious training, the recreational outlets you have, the camaraderie you have with your friends, and the love and understanding, uh, hopefully, <laughs> that you have with your family. Thanks for listening.